How's it going, everybody? This is Chris. Welcome to episode 143 of X-Last, where X-Force gets their book back from Wolverine. How about that? Uh, well, there'll, there'll be plenty of Wolverine today, but uh, this is not like the X-Force issues we got during X of Tens. so happy about that. So how about we just hop right in? This is X-Force, volume 6, number 15. Had a February 2021 cover date. Stories called Trench Warfare. Written by Benjamin Percy, with art by Joshua Cassara. Colors, Guru EFX. Light is VC's Joe Caramagna. Designs, Tom Muller. Head of X is Hickman. Edits, Basso White Sobolski. Cover price, $3.99. This one went on sale December 16th of 2020. And, uh, hey, uh, you'll remember that story that was playing out in this book before X of Tens came and interrupted everything? You know, that one where Beast had frog-marched Colossus past a group of his peers and friends declaring him guilty of collusion with the Russian baddies without any sort of trial or even, you know, just asking him? Well, that's exactly where we're picking up. Jean Grey is reading Colossus's mind, and I'm only assuming that he'd given her permission to do so, as otherwise it would be a pretty big mutant rights violation. Now, Beast and Wolverine, they're waiting outside Somewhat impatiently, uh, the former beast, he is uh, feeling quite froggy. Wolverine gives him the no bub, we ain't going in there. And he also makes it clear that Beast is not his favorite person right now. And also that he doesn't trust him at all. And I really can't blame him. I would say that this scene probably would have played out a lot better had this book not been swept into several pointless chapters of the Festival of Swords, but... And we can't change the past, now can we? Now inside, Jean's doing the thing, and uh, we see a whole bunch of colossal memories. Recent memories, though. Uh, Looks like we get a glimpse of what went down during that mission in Russia that nobody seems to want to completely fill us in on, despite the fact that we've had, like, 15 issues of this book since it was said to have happened. Eh. Also, some thoughts of that water mutant Kayla, who Peter's been uh, chumming around with in the Savage Land. At this point, Jean's seen all she needs to see, and so they exit. She informs Beast and Logan that Colossus is clean. She tells Beast that uh, Peter didn't ask for an apology, but she's going to insist that he gives him one anyway. From here, we get one of them uh, mostly blank quote pages. Uh, Colossus says some stuff about painting. Um, Then a double-page spread of roll call and cred. We got Beast, Sage, who I don't think shows up at all in this issue, Colossus, Domino, Black Tom Cassidy, Marvel Girl, which makes me wonder if this is the only book that still calls Gene that on the roll call page. I think, maybe. Uh, We also have Wolverine and Forge. 
get back to comics here and we get a couple of pages of discussion on how Krakoa has a constantly changing landscapes. Some days hills show up, valleys, peninsulas, yada yada yada. Point is, it transforms a whole heck of a lot. And while we read this narration, we see this gross-looking black pod sort of purged from Krakoa itself. It lands and it rolls down a hill before splashing into the water where it sinks. More on that in just a little bit. These panels are intercut with Jean talking to Hank and Logan about a replacement for her on X-Force. She suggests that Colossus would probably be the best candidate, probably since he was in that group shot on the cover of X-Force number one. Actually, it's because he's got family ties with Mikhail Rasputin, who is the big bad here, and uh, Beast will approach Peter with this offer. But first, how about we take a look at the other Russian that X-Force has chained up in their basement, Omega Red. Jean reports that she can't seem to scan him. Uh, There's a fog over his mind. He's been mesmerized, you see. Likely by Dracula, since this is tying in with the Vampire Nation subplot in Wolverine. Not that we'd get any sort of editorial notes to inform us of that. Now, Wolverine asks what the next step might be, to which Beast says they let him go. Well, Logan doesn't care for that one bit. And in fairness to him, it probably would have helped Beast's case if he explained why he would suggest such a thing instead of just dropping a line like that. Kind of feels like we got us some manufactured conflict going on here, which is a real shame since there's actual conflict between these characters at this moment. And we don't need gimmicky dialogue to facilitate them getting, you know, getting into each other's faces here. They are at odds. We don't need a silly, we let them go. I mean, come on. Now, Beast finally gets back to explaining what he's talking about. You see, Omega Red has a carbonadium or carbonadium synthesizer, which keeps him alive. In it is a detonator, planted by Dracula in order to keep him in line. Now, at this point, Jean's heard enough. She throws up her hands and she's like, I don't want any part of whatever you two knuckleheads are going to be cooking up. So she makes like a tree and gets the hell out of there. Beast tells Logan that he has a plan to make Omega Red an unwitting double agent for them. We shift scenes back to that inky, nasty pod thing from earlier, where it's grown tendrils and is feeding off of a whale. Now, for a minute, I thought this was going to be like a King in Black tie-in, and uh, that we were going to be dealing with some sort of symbiotes, and I suppose we still might be, but I don't think so. Next, we rejoin Beast as he chats up Chucklehead Forge, who... Boy, he's acting even worse than before. I'm almost surprised that this goofball doesn't like have like a whole bunch of like wet towels at the ready to snap at his friend's butts. You know, he's just a real douche. Anyway, Beast asks if he can create a replacement for Omega Red's carbonadium synthesizer, with an audio surveillance and homing beacon gimmick built in. Now Forge thinks on it for a second and he wonders if there's something Hank isn't telling him. To which, our beast assures him that he's got everything under control. At which time, our view shifts back to Omega Red, who is now dead, with a great big smoldering hole where his chest used to be. Hmm. Info page, all about the resurrection protocol on Omega Red. Now, Beast's plans are explained here. You see, he killed Omega Red to have him resurrected with this tweaked sea synth thing implanted in him. This will allow the Krakoans to spy on the vampire nation. And since all Arcady is considered a national security threat to Krakoa, 
Beast posits that he doesn't have any rights regarding how he's resurrected. This sounds a little bit like one of them slippery slopes. Um, It also sounds like a major plot point that should perhaps not be relegated to an info page. Which, I've said it before, I'll say it again, I assume a great portion of the readership either skims or skips altogether. So we continue along here. Omega Red will be resurrected with the gimmicked-up sea synth. And since X-Force doesn't have to oblige by the polite laws of Kirkoa, the Quiet Council nor the Five can do anything but cite their concerns. They still have to allow whatever they want to occur. In the memo, when faced with objections from the Five, Xavier simply states that, quote, X-Force has authorization to override standard protocols. Which, again, might be one of them... One of them exchanges that might be better to see, or you know, may, might be at least a little bit more impactful to see, as an actual comics page rather than here in an info page. I don't know. And we did talk a little bit last episode about Xavier, uh, you know, passive-aggressively delegating, and it seems like he's passing the buck again here. He's like, yeah, let them do what they want. Back to comics. We shift over to a battleship in the Pacific. Now, it's full of folks who are tired of the mutants and their annoying moving island shenanigans. They are all quite anti-mutant at this point. Uh, The ship is attacked by, well, probably the next evolution of that uh, whatever it was that Krakoa purged earlier this issue. It looks kind of like a kraken, maybe? I don't know. We shift scenes over to the Savage Land. Beast arrives via a gateway to approach Peter with both his apology and offer to join X-Force in a support role. He's met at the gate by Kayla, who does not take kindly to this visit. She uses her water siphoning powers to drain Hank's body of its moisture, which drops him like a rock. Peter shows up to settle all the tea kettles and hear Beast out. Beast apologizes and hands Peter a package of Krakoan paints that he had made for him. Colossus accepts Beast's apology, stating that while Beast made the wrong decision, he did so for the right reasons. Whatever that means. Uh, he, he then leaves before Beast can ask if he'll join the team. We wrap up over at a beach on Krakoa where Domino is playing with her dog, which I never even realized she had. We do, in fact, get an editor's note here referring us to X-Force number 5, which, truth be told, I can't remember a lick of. Um, at least this tells us that editors can include notes. Now, why this minor little dog blurb would get one and not the whole Vampire Nation arc? Uh, You got me. Now, Black Tom is buried in the sand and he's having a grand old time in his beach day. Uh, He does mention that he can taste Domino's dog's excrement and that the veg really seems to like it. Then... Oh, wait, are we... Oh, no, are we back in Empire? Because plant zombies overtake the beach. The poor dog looks to have been eaten, and Domino takes us home by proclaiming, Surf's up. She actually says surf's up. Okay. That's the end of X-Force. Next episode, I think we get back to business with Cable. The cover has him holding a baby, so maybe we're going to be getting back to that opening story arc. But uh, for now, let's talk about X-Force. Okay, so what's our main takeaway here? I, well, let me start by saying I didn't, I didn't hate this issue. I, I kind of liked it, but it left me with a really bad taste in my mouth. It's one of those, you know? It's not so much a thinker. 
insofar as I'm wondering what a character is thinking. It's more a thinker in that I'm wondering what the creators are thinking here, because, I mean, Beast is just a murderer now? Is that, <laughs> is that the story we're telling? I, I mean, we've seen him act uh, immoral, irresponsible before. Um, we've seen him kill before in this very series. I mean, he... or maim or cripple, I suppose, with uh, the son of the president of Tierra Verde or whatever. We injects him with whatever it was and causes a whole bunch of Tierra Verdans to, to perish. Um, but, I mean, that seemed like more of a plan gone awry. And also, I mean, he was fighting zombie mutated plant things, so... I don't want to say we can forgive it, but we can almost kind of massage it into making sense. And I want to say he might have killed one of those uh, wetwork reavers that we saw very, very early in the series. I can't remember if it was him that did it or Wolverine that did it, but somebody did it. But here, I mean, this is just murder. Murder of, like, a captive who is bound <laughs> and helpless. I mean, if not for him being part of X-Force, he probably ought to be sharing whatever the hell kind of cell Sabretooth is, uh, has in, in the hole there. And, you know, speaking of Sabretooth, uh, how soon before he turns up as just like a random villain in any Marvel book, simply because the editors don't communicate, and there's like no check and balance system in place? I'm actually shocked that hasn't happened yet, at least as far as I know. If that has happened, please, actually, don't, don't tell me. I don't want to know. Um... Back to Beast, though. I'm not sure how we can fix him after this. Like, is there any way to walk this behavior back? Where he's... He's just killing people. And this wasn't... I mean, this wasn't like in the heat of battle. This wasn't self-defense. This was... Uh, blowing a giant hole in, in a captive's chest while he was bound. Um... I mean, does anybody on staff care that they're doing, like, irreversible damage to these characters? It's a toughie, in it? I mean, he's not... He doesn't have berserker rage. He's not mind-controlled. He's not imbued with Dark Phoenix powers. He's just beast. And, he, and he's kind of a crazy asshole. I mean, it's not great. Uh... Uh, on the other hand, though, maybe this is just more evidence of, like, some of the main theories we've discussed a lot on the show, that there is some sort of Krakoan influence taking over and massaging things into happening. Or, maybe all these characters have been reading, like uh, like Evan had suggested, maybe they're all clones. Maybe the originals are underground, in stasis. Maybe they're in a no place that uh, only Mora knows about. I mean, who knows? But I feel like it's almost got to be something like that because this, I mean, this ain't cool. This really is not cool here. And, and I'd like, I'd hope, I mean, before when we talked about X-Force and we complained about how Beast was being portrayed, at least I could kind of frame it with saying something like, maybe this is leading to a redemption arc. Because, you know, I, I think we've seen, I mean, we're reading Juggernaut right now. He was a villain forever, and now he's, you know, re rehabilitating. Magneto's on the Quiet Council. He's more heroic than villainous right now. Beast, it just seems different, you know? It seems very different now. After, after this issue in particular, it's like, even if we have a redemption arc, I mean, it's, I don't know. If it, 
Part of me really, really hates this. Part of me kind of gets it because we've talked we've talked a lot about the devaluing of life and death in these books here, where I mean, Beast ripping <laughs> Arcady's heart out with the you know TikTok um, carbonadium synthesizer. Whereas before Hoxpox, this would have been you just killed somebody. Now it's like, well, you just took them off the board for a minute because they'll be brought back, altered to make them more useful. And uh, and Beast also tells uh, the five that uh, Omega Red is under no circumstances to know how he died. So, I mean, they're manipulating this and uh, changing... This character to, to be a little bit more useful I don't know if it's a sign that our characters are losing it Or just another uh, you know another notch in the life and death doesn't matter sort of gimmick That's been going on ever since this thing started I, I know I don't like it I'm not comfortable with it um, And I, I'm not sure what kind of answer that we might get somewhere down the line will be satisfying enough to justify all of this way, way, way out of character behavior and all this needless death. Eh, maybe I'm wrong. I don't know. Not much else happened in this issue. Um, we had the apology. We had uh, Peter uh, being kind of moody, as you know, which is justified. He was. He was treated as a traitor and a criminal without being a traitor nor criminal. Uh, we also had this big black mass that Krakoa popped out. Um, not sure exactly what it is. Um, it was almost like, you know, like, it w- was it like a waste product? Like, was Krakoa purging waste? Was it a tumor or a cancer? I mean, it was black and just really, really uh, sinister looking. I, I really don't know. Uh, I'd say that that's kind of an interesting tack to take because we've never really looked at Krakoa as... I mean, we know Krakoa is a living thing, right? But as a... I don't know, something that might have a digestive tract, uh, something that does change and is more amorphous than we may have thought of. I, I think that's a neat little wrinkle to be getting here because... Uh, not only does it explain away inconsistencies in art, which, I mean, that's very, very handy when you have this many uh, creative teams involved in the project, but it also opens up opportunities for new things to be told. You know, a volcano might show up. You never know. Anything can happen on this island. And I think that's a really good way to introduce that sort of a topic. And that's, of course, assuming that it hasn't already been introduced and I just kind of missed it. <laughs> but, uh,. I, I'm digging that, um, hating the beast thing. Uh, didn't hate the issue, though. Didn't hate the issue. I feel like there was enough forward momentum. Um, not quite the tonal shift that we've gotten in some of the other Reign of X books here, where it does feel like a new day. This feels like something that uh, something that we're just picking up from, uh, from the Dawn of X era, and that's fine. Not everything. I mean, Marauders was similar in in that regard as well. Not a bad thing, but just didn't feel quite as fresh as some of the other books. Not a bad thing, but perhaps not as strong as the uh, the other books around it. But uh, art was still top notch. Uh, Kasara is still killing it, so that's a good thing. And I think that's probably all I've got to say about the issue here. 
Uh, before we go, let's hop into the mailbag here. We got a couple of letters. Uh, we're going to start with Damien, who's talking about Juggernaut number two and three. He says, after Exit 10s, we really couldn't have had a more different experience than reading Juggernaut 2 and 3. This felt like such a step back in time. Fabian Niciesa builds and builds and builds a story just like he did back in the 90s. He was always someone who wrote every project as though it could never end. Very Claremontian. And that's totally true. Uh, Niciesa is definitely comfort food for me here. I love the way he, he writes. And, and you're right, it's... Every project could go on and on, and it wouldn't uh, it wouldn't feel like something's being padded. It has those pre-decompression sensibilities where you do get a lot of action. Uh, sometimes, I mean, we, we looked at issue four uh, the other day, and there wasn't a whole lot to talk about in that issue, but I still felt satisfied in reading it. it there was enough enough happened. That it was a enjoyable and satisfying read. It was just one of those toughies to you know uh, analyze and synopsize. Well, synopsizing was actually quite easy, but finding things to talk about that were not speculatory were, was difficult. And sometimes that happens. That's just a a real throwback and uh, refreshing. And like you put it here, after reading something like X of Tens, which was twenty two bloated issues. This was like a dream coming back to a uh, more uh, classic and traditional uh, comic storytelling. Damien continues, Ron Garney was also superb. He just brings the quality. I was a little disappointed with the coloring, though. Everything was a little too murky. And I also agree on that. Um, It almost reminds me of... uh, my own time dabbling in uh, in creating comics back when I was, you know, a, a late teen and in my early twenties, and you'd use a. Uh, I didn't have enough money to go out and buy fancy things, so I would use like a sharpie to ink, which <laughs> is not ideal, and uh, it does help in covering up really, really uh, bad pencil lines because most of my pencil lines were in fact quite bad, but. Uh, I totally understand the, uh, the the murk there because it did seem, and it it like doesn't make any sense to say this, but it seemed thick. <laughs> I, it, I know coloring doesn't make sense when described as thick, but it's the only word I can think of to to describe it. <laughs> Damien wraps up with, overall, it's a great little series that gets the '90s nostalgia without looking or feeling like a period piece. Hundred percent, hundred percent. '90s sensibilities, but with a current year sort of flair. This wasn't like Major X, you know? This wasn't a... This didn't go the love letter route, you know? This wasn't a... This wasn't a throwback in aesthetic style, just in storytelling style and in pacing. And it's just a really good time. If, uh, if you all are not reading Juggernaut, uh, give it a shot. I think you, uh, I think you will enjoy it. But uh, thank you so much for uh, for sharing your thoughts on those two issues of Juggernaut, Damien. Uh, next, our friend Evan is talking about X-Factor number five. He says, This issue felt kind of uneven to me, but it also felt like one of those post-event breathers, too. It certainly set up plenty of plots and subplots going forward. Yeah, speaking of traditional, it's one of the things that surprised me the most about X-Factor number five was that... It was like an old Quiet Claremont or Quiet Lobdell issue where everybody's kind of not so much licking their wounds, but we're checking in with them. 
You know, we're checking in with these characters. We're seeing them interact with one another. We are getting all these little, uh, all these little you know, subplot spurs are starting to show. And uh, I mean, the sky's the limit for what we can do from here. Um, we don't know what subplots are going to be touched on first. We don't know what ones are going to build into something else. It's a really good time, and it, it definitely brought me back to you know post. Post onslaught or post uh, executioner's song, post fatal attractions, where we did just get to spend a little bit of time with the characters while they reflected on what was going on and prepared to continue their stories. It was very, very good. Evan continues. Festival of Swords is an even more fitting name than X of Tens, and I believe Marvel should brand the trades that way. Could you imagine? <laughs> X-Men Festival of Swords Volume 1. I hope they do it. They won't, but I hope they do. We'll need to uh, we'll need to have our dual hashtags of X of Tens and Festival of Swords. Uh, Evan continues. I forgot to go back and read X Factor Volume One, Number One. I've been sidetracked by Die, a comic I'm shocked I enjoy as much as I do. And reading about Captain America asking a ten-year-old for advice about whether he should go back for to working for the government. It's research. So thank you for reminding me of my X-lapsed homework assignment. And uh, I'm happy to report that Evan did write in his thoughts on X-Factor number one, and uh, we'll talk about that next episode. I would power rank the number fives, Evan continues, but I agree with yours. Cable might have edged out X-Factor if it hadn't felt so uncable And it's true. Uh, the cable number five is the issue where he, Scott, and Gene go up to the sword uh, satellite, and they free the Viscora. With uh, inserting the sword into the orb, and then the Viscora show up, and yeah, it was not. It, it, it that was kind of a throwback in that it felt like a complete waste of time, like a lot of old cable books were, but uh, certainly not what we expect from uh, the Duggan Noto uh, cable, which is usually you know really, really, really good. But yeah, number five, not so great. Uh, Evan wraps up with, I almost forgot, as much as we've talked about it, was X-Force number 5 the first mention of the Crucible since X-Men number 7? That seems weird. And if Iska doesn't want the job, I figure Exodus could handle it. That is, that being Apocalypse's job of ritually murdering <laughs> the depowered mutant. Uh, I can imagine him spinning epic poetry about genetic supremacy for his campfire kids as he cleans the interior blood of a depowered mutant off his ceremonial sword. Yeah, I figure Exodus would be pretty good at that, and uh, if nothing else, it might uh, keep those campfire kids in line a little, a little bit better as well. Uh, as for the question, I, I'm struggling to think if there has been another mention of the Crucible since... Since we saw the Crucible, I don't know that we have, which is strange because I feel like it's loomed so large ever since X-Men number 7. Maybe that's just the fact that, that we've talked about it a whole lot on the show and we've been really reflecting on it and just really deeply discussing it. I don't know if X-Factor number 5 might have been the second mention of it because it certainly was front and center for uh, Wind Dancer's resurrection here, where she just assumes everybody went through the Crucible and, and how the Crucible news of the Crucible made it to Mojo World. It's. I really don't know. If anybody else knows if there has been any uh, Crucible discussion between X Men number seven and X Factor number five, please write in and let me know because 
I can't remember, but then again, I've you know this is episode 143. There's <laughs> there's been a lot of these, so I could have actually spent a, an hour talking about it, and I don't remember at the moment. So if you do, please let me know. But thank you so much for checking in there, Evan, and I really look forward to sharing your thoughts on X Factor Volume One, Number One. With the wonderful members of our X-Lapsed, X-Standed, X-Family next episode But that's going to do it for the mailbag If anybody out there would like to write in and uh, join the mailbag Please feel free to do so You can find me on Twitter at Ace Comics You can also shoot me an email over to weirdcomicshistory at gmail.com I guess I'm also on Facebook, it's just my name So if that's where you hang out you can find me there too. I just uh, I just don't go there all that often. Uh, uh, you can find blog posts and show notes over at chrisoninfiniteearth.com and xlabs.chrisoninfiniteearth.com. Speaking of Facebook, you could find us there. Our little group is '90s X-Men. And for all your Chris and Reggie podcasting needs, you can go to chrisandreggie.podbean.com. Well, that's gonna do it for today. I want to thank you all so so much for letting me be a part of your day today. And until next time, as always, I'll talk to you again real soon. See ya.